Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Born Again by Pastor Sean Wood. Preach on one of my favourite chapters in the Bible, John chapter 3. For those who are making your way there, uh, it's been uh, somewhat of a uh, different year. Most of us probably would have expected that uh, most of uh, the COVID stuff would have been pushed aside and we'd be pressing forward and we are doing all of that stuff. But uh, this year, and because uh, because I'm preaching, because I have the floor, uh, and because I can, uh, this year has changed enormously for us. Uh, because this week we became grandparents, and that's a, that's enormous, yeah. But the reality was that uh, months before this week, I was already a grandfather. It just he didn't come into the world until just recently. Uh, and it's interesting because as I was thinking about this, this little guy has been in there for some time and he, this week we celebrated the moment he stepped into another world. And uh, what I love about Christmas time is that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That the Son of God stepped into our world to draw us into the next world. Interesting, we have some people here from places like Africa. We don't kind of make too much mention of it. I understand that. But if you go to some of the developing countries, maybe you go to Africa, maybe you spend time in India or or some of the Asian countries, you'll notice that they are far more open to spiritual matters than us. Some people have asked, why is it that God seems to work sometimes more powerfully in these countries? The reality is when you, when you enter these countries, you don't have to convince them there's a spiritual realm. They're already well aware that there's a spiritual realm. But over here in Western culture, we, we kind of have ignored that. We've kind of thought to ourselves, uh, most of us live in existence where we think that the reality that we're in right now is all that there is that this life is all that there is, that what we can see with our eyes, that what we can touch with our hands is all that life is. And uh, if you talk to too many people outside of these walls, you will begin to realise that they hold that after this life, that's it. What a morbid way to live life. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to testify to, to introduce us to the reality of the fact that there is a world far more real than the one we live in and to invite us into that world. If you've got your Bibles and you've met me in John chapter 3, then I want to I journey with uh, a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, uh, long story short, uh, Nicodemus is one of my favourite dudes in all of the Gospel accounts because he actually represents what a true seeker looks like. Uh, he comes to Jesus, he has questions, he doesn't understand like many of us, but that's not the end of the story Nicodemus. When we get to the end of chapter 3, many of us would say, you know, this didn't have any effect. He he comes to Jesus, he talks with Jesus, but he goes away seemingly the same as he came. But as we work our way through the Gospel of John, we notice that Jesus did deeply impact the heart of Nicodemus. Uh, In chapter 11, we see that uh, as the council are meeting about what they should do about Jesus, and they want to put him to death, it's Nicodemus that stands up and says, you know what, do we pass sentence before a man's had a trial? But the big one, the clincher, for me was uh, right after Jesus has passed away and died on the cross, we see that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea prepared Jesus' body for burial. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices 
that was the amount that was allotted and reserved for royal funerals. What Nicodemus was saying was, I'm burying a king. And my prayer is this Christmas, my hope and my prayer is this, that Jesus will impact your heart the same way that he did Nicodemus. Let's, let's have a look at the journey that Nicodemus is going on and answer a few questions as we go along. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That sentence is absolutely loaded. He was a ruler of the Jews. Here's a little bit of a, a, a glimpse at who Nicodemus is. Uh, in the first century, Rome obviously had conquered Israel. They were the governing body in Israel at the time, but uh, they, Rome didn't get the idea of a monotheistic religion or, or, or the one God. They had many gods and they couldn't adjudicate all the, all the fights and squabbles that went on amongst the Jews. So they said, you know what? You guys look after your own religious matters. Set up a council and that council was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were the ruling body of Israel at that time. They were the Pharisees. Uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't about what you knew so much, but more who you knew. Uh, by the way, Pharisees are still alive and well today. We'll, we'll cover that off before we finish today. But, but this, we see through the Gospels that the ones that are most antagonistic to Jesus are the Pharisees. And Nicodemus is a ruler, not only of the Jews, but a ruler of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the top guys. <laughs> You know, when they want to know what's going on with the law, when you've got questions and you want answers, you go to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, to be a Pharisee, you had to be able to commit to memory the first five books of the Bible. I know there's people in here that are coming up to the new year, and I know some of us are going, you know what, this year's going to be the year. I'm going to read the Bible from front to the back, and I'm going to go right through Leviticus. And, and I pray that this is this year for you. Many of us get to live Leviticus and die a slow, painful death. However, uh, these guys, uh, these guys uh, not only knew the book of Leviticus, they could recite it for you. They committed it to memory. Some of us struggle to remember the names of the first five books of the Bible. Highly educated, deeply religious. He's a ruler of the Jews, and Nicodemus does something that is enormously risky right now. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. Now, uh, I've listened to uh, many commentators. I've, I've listened to many messages and they, that have alluded to what does it mean that Nicodemus came by night? And I want to resolve it tonight. Some have said, you know, it's, a, it's symbolic of the darkness of his soul and all this. Let me tell you what it means tonight. It means it didn't, he did not come in the daytime. <laughs> it's profound, right? Profound. But here's why you would come of a night time. Uh, unlike maybe large portions of our millennial generation today, uh, in the first century, you worked all day. And so if you wanted a private, uninterrupted audience with somebody, you would come and speak to them of a night time when all the daily duties were done. Nicodemus wants an audience with Jesus because he has been pricked in his heart. Let's have a listen to what's... This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, it's interesting that the ruler and one of the leading teachers in Israel is addressing Jesus as a leading teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus has got a problem. Nicodemus may even be like some of us sitting in this room this morning. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I've always thought there's more to life than just 
going through paying my taxes, retirement, if you're lucky enough to get there, uh, all those retirements overrated possibly, I don't know, uh, for the financial planners, they might say that's not the case, but uh, the reality is we've kind of sold to an Australian dream that is reasonably empty. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, just like Nicodemus, there's more to life than this, surely. And he comes to Jesus and says, you know what? Uh, I'm intrigued and I'm puzzled because you seem to have something I don't have. You see, I'm the ruler, I'm the leader of the religious institution and the religious body of Israel. Uh, I have the knowledge of God. I have the interpretation of the law. If you've got a question about God, you come to me, but I don't have what you have, Jesus. What am I missing? Nobody can do these signs. Jesus was living a life, speaking words that was testifying to a world outside of our world. Nobody can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, which I find intriguing because I can't remember Nicodemus asking a question. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Three most profound words in that statement are this, born again and cannot. We'll get to the cannot one in a moment, but let's, let's just unpack what Jesus is saying when he says that we need to be born again. There was a son that was born to us 2,000 years ago. What is Jesus saying? We have to be born again. Nicodemus, the leader of Israel at that time, he doesn't get it. We're going to see he doesn't get it either. Jesus, what do you mean by being born again? And when Jesus says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again, when Jesus says to each and every one of us, you need to be born again, he's actually saying two very important things both at the same time. First one is he's highlighting the fact that the condition that we are currently in, the position that we are currently in, is enormously broken. We live in a culture today that would like to sweep that under the carpet. I spent six years driving night shift in taxis. Let me tell you something, this world is broken. When I was a cleaner at the Launceston General Hospital, I cleaned on the children's ward. And if it's not a broken enough place to see them suffering with adult diseases as it is, there were four rooms reserved at the end of the corridor for adolescents that had attempted to take their life. Youngest child I knew in there was was about nine or ten years of age. Those rooms were never empty. There is something broken in our world when a nine, if if just one child of nine or ten years of age wakes up in the morning and says, I am not valuable enough, I am not worthy enough, this world offers me no hope at all for me that I must just end my life. There is something broken with our world, friends. Something enormously broken. When Jesus says you need to be born again, the reality is we're all broken. We all are in a position of desperate need. The the unpacking of the word saviour is a reference to somebody who steps into your danger and your peril to pull you out. Now, many of us love those verses in John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to land the plane there this morning. We love those verses. For God so loved the world. We're going to finish there today. But when we read through the context that's given to us in the preceding verses, maybe we'll have a a more grave concern and, and understanding for those verses. But the second thing that Jesus is saying, not only is the fact that our current condition is broken, that plays out differently 
in people's lives. It might look like series of broken relationships. It may look like confusion about your identity. It may look like many different things. All of us, that mess looks different for each and every one of us. But my personal story is the story of a saviour that stepped into my mess. You see, Jesus doesn't demand that I clean up my mess first. That's what I love so much about this story. Jesus says you have to be born again to the ruler, to the most religious man at that point in time. He says you've got to be born again, Nicodemus. The next most profound word I found here was cannot. Jesus says unless a man is born again, he cannot see, or that word is used synonymously with enter. You cannot see, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What's Jesus saying? You can't do it on your own. That's why I'm here. What I love about uh, Jesus stepping into all of our mess is that he didn't come to repair. He didn't come to renovate. He didn't come to just put a few band-aids on our mess and our brokenness. He came to regenerate. What a powerful word that is. Born again means completely regenerated made new. You can't do that in your own power. Do you know, we can put a man on the moon right now, but we can't fix the condition of the human heart. Now, for those who don't know, uh, I was uh, in welfare in the foster system in Tasmania. This world is broken. Every single female I knew in the foster care system, every single one of them was there because they were sexually plundered by somebody they knew who was close to them. This world is broken, but Jesus offers us hope. Jesus came from another world, and this is the message largely of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to fix up your world. Jesus didn't come to make all your hills low and straight and all of your life easy. Jesus didn't come to dress up this life and this world for you. He came to rescue you out of it. And he has charged us to be part of the rescue squad to rescue others. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How many of us would have begun to possibly contemplate like Nicodemus? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And all the ladies went, "Uh -uh, mm uh-uh, no way. (laughs) First time was bad enough, champ. You're not having another crack at that. Uh, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, that is not a reference to baptism. Baptism is not essential. I need to press the pause button. It's not essential for salvation. Water baptism is an outward testimony of an inward reality. And I encourage everybody to go through the waters of baptism. That's not what Jesus meant there. That's a sermon series for another day. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. two worlds. You might be sitting here today going, you know what? I've got a lot of questions. That's okay. You might be sitting here this morning going, you know what? I've got a lot of doubts. That's okay. And Nicodemus had a lot of questions. Nicodemus had a lot of doubts. Thomas had a lot of doubts. Jesus doesn't turn anybody away. You bring all of your questions to Jesus. You bring all of your doubts to Jesus. You bring all of your fears to Jesus. Verse 7. Do not marvel 
that I said to you. And the word you there is plural. Not just talking to Nicodemus now, we're talking to Israel as a whole. If this was written to people in the south of Tasmania, it would say y'all because it's the collective. Jesus is now speaking to the larger audience. Do not marvel that I said to you all that you must be born again. I love this next verse. Verse 8 is an enormously powerful verse. The wind blows wherever it wishes. That word wind could be translated breath or spirit. The spirit blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So, very important word, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You might be sitting here today thinking to yourself, what do I have to do? Do do I have to clean myself up so that God will accept me? Do, Do I have to become religious, wear the right clothes? Do I have to learn? Learn all the right ordinances? The answer is no, you can't do it on your own. Jesus came to do what we could not do. Uh, If anybody here thinks of visiting Tasmania, one thing you'll soon recognise is it's a very windy place. And if you're a fisherman, wind is enormously important, the direction, the strength. So you get accustomed to wind. And I could walk outside now, and if it was blowing 50 kilometres an hour outside, I could tell you it's windy but not because I can see it. Not because I can grab hold of it. Reality is I couldn't tell you where that wind started. Reality is I couldn't tell you where it would end. But I know it's windy when I go outside because I could be able to tell you that the trees are moving. I could tell you that it's windy outside because I can guarantee you if it is windy outside at all, any breath of wind, it will pick up every leaf for the next four streets and blow them to the front door right there. Just after I've blowed everything clean, I can guarantee you that's what will happen with the wind. What I'm saying is we may not be able to see the wind, we may not be able to control the wind, but we can feel its power if we position ourselves correctly. When the Holy Spirit touches a life, I have the privilege of witnessing it on a weekly basis. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. The word so here is not measuring in degree. It's very important. We're not a, it's not a reference to degree or measurement. It is in the manner in which. Jesus is saying the manner in which it is with everybody who is born of the Spirit. You can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't rebirth yourself. You can't regenerate yourself. But you can position yourself to feel the power of the Holy Spirit impact your life deeply. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? In other words, what's he saying? Are you, are you a leading authority on the Old Testament and the Scripture and you don't understand spiritual renewal? Are you telling me that you don't get this? Listen to what Jesus has to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Isn't it interesting? Who's the we that Jesus is referring to there? We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you, you all, do not receive our testimony. Jesus says, I've come from another world. Let me paraphrase it for the Tasmanians in the room this morning. Sorry, Lynn. What Jesus is saying is, I've come from another world and the life that I live and the words that I speak 
testify to what I know and the reality I know of another world, offering and inviting you into that world. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, who is the Son of Man. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, or in the same manner, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I love that passage. Some commentators and theologians say, you know what, verse 15 isn't necessarily referenced in the Greek. doesn't matter because we pick it up in verse 16 anyway. But what is Jesus talking about here? What is, what is the reference here that Jesus makes about Moses? For those who know the book of Numbers, you'll know the story uh, of God's judgment coming on the people of Israel for their sins. And uh, the, there is a, an enormous amount of serpents that begin to bite people and uh, they cry out to God for help. And God says to Moses, put a serpent, a bronze serpent, fashion a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up. And every person who looks, sometimes that's all faith is, changing where you're looking. God says to Moses, whoever looks at that serpent will be completely healed. And Jesus is saying that in the same manner, God is going to lift me up so that everybody who will look at me, A.W. Tozer calls it the look of faith. And you might have been a Christian here for 20 years, you might have... You might have walked with Christ. You may have even drifted away. Whatever demographic finds you here this Christmas time, my prayer is this, that each one of us would leave here today and we are changing where we look. Because where you look orientates the direction of your life. What Jesus is saying is the same way that Moses was lifted up, the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent is the same way the Son of Man shall be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And I want to unpack that last verse, verse 15. As we move into verses 16 and 17 today, I want to unpack what does that mean. I love a few words here. Let's read verses 16 and 17 together and then we'll unpack them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. They're beautiful words, but you can't have verse 16, I don't think, without tacking on verse 17, which says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus into the world to rub your nose in your past and to rub your sins in your face. That's not the reason that God sent Jesus into the world. God sends Jesus in in order that the world might be saved through him. We're all like that grandson of mine that for nine months we're locked into a world where we thought that was all our world was. Here's this little guy inside a tummy hearing all these weird voices on the outside trying to discern them. Sounds like a Pentecostal meeting in the early 1900s, maybe. But, but, but we're all like that and Jesus wants everybody to know you have the opportunity to experience this other world. We were all designed and created for this other world. Let's unpack these words. For God so, that word so again is not a measurement of degree. Why is that? You can't measure God's love. What the, the gospel writer here is saying, these words, there's good argument to say these words should not be in read. For God so loved the world. The manner in which God loved the world was that he gave us his son. And two very powerful words that I don't want to leave off here today are whoever and believes. 
That word whoever there was an enormous slap in the face for Nicodemus if he had heard those words because they thought salvation and a relationship with God was reserved for the Pharisees. Uh, We are in covenant with God, but we understand the gospel breaks down all of those walls and now whoever. Whatever, whatever, whatever your past is this morning, whatever, whatever country you come from this morning, even if you come from New Zealand. I don't think there's any... Yeah. <laughs> that word whoever uh, there means that it's not just reserved for a specific elite group of anybody. In fact, the, Jesus threw the doors open for every single person. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter the colour of your skin. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter the struggles you may have and the weaknesses you may have. Jesus says, whoever. Second word is believe. You might be sitting here today saying, what is it that I have to do? How can I, how can I possibly begin the journey of entering, entering into that other world? Jesus offers us the way by saying you have to believe. Uh, that word believe in the Gospel of John is a very powerful word. It's used 99 times, and every time it is used in this sense, it is used as a verb. And it's not simply agreeing with mental facts. You can do the research when you go home. Jesus of Nazareth is a real person of history. Jesus of Nazareth, both gospel accounts and historians outside of the Bible, attest to the miracles that Jesus did, his crucifixion under the hands of Pontius Pilate. Uh, You have to do something with this Jesus. The word believe requires that we cast the fullness of our trust and reliance in him. That's what that word believe means. That's not a one-time event. That's not repeat these three sentences after me and then you're hunky-dory for the rest of your life. This isn't, you know what, just throw some water over you when you're a baby and then you can do whatever you want for the rest of your life and you'll... No, that's not what that means. This means every day when you wake up, you are casting your life and surrendering your life to the trust and reliance of the king. I, I, I love the, the, the kind of irony of the gospel. The reality is that salvation today is completely and utterly free. It won't cost you one cent. You can leave your money at the door and come to this church for as long as you like. Tony's not here so I can say that. Tony's out in the background so I can say that. But the irony of the gospel is it's absolutely free. There's nothing you could do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, but it'll cost you everything. I don't want to put that in the fine print this morning. There's nothing I can do this morning that to make Jesus more attractive. doesn't matter how many lights we put on stage. doesn't matter how much we dress up the outside of the building. doesn't matter how flashy musicians and, mu- and musical instruments we may have here on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter. I- I'm not running a circus here. I'm not here to entertain you. That's not what I was called to do. I can't make Jesus any more attractive. My prayer and my hope is that I can just be used by God to pull the veil back so you can see how glorious he is. I, I-, I can't make him anymore. But when you clasp your eyes for just a glimpsing moment on the glory of Christ, you will willingly throw away and abandon this world to enter into the next one. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we often put eternal life as a tag. It's kind of like, you know, Jesus came to hand out free tickets to heaven. Jesus didn't have any tickets. We always think that eternal life is something that we tack on. That's after death. 
You know, we live our life now and, and then eternal, eternal life is a reference to the right here and now. You can enter into eternal life today. And if you have already entered into eternal life, my hope and prayer is that you will walk in the fullness of that promise that Jesus has made because Jesus says in John chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Know intimate knowledge and relationship with God. That's what that word know means. For those that are wondering about some of the spooky words of the Bible, foreknowledge simply means this, a predetermined decision by God to set his love and affection on you. But I love verse 17. Maybe there's some people here this morning that need to hear verse 17 again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus didn't come to... uh, to rob us. Jesus didn't come to highlight all of your mistakes. Jesus wants you to leave the past behind and move forward. I, for those that know, I, when I was in Tasmania, I used to run a forestry crew and I found it hard to get guys to do the work. It was hard work. So I found it hard to get guys and, and there was an agency that was trying to mingle guys straight out of jail into life and they found it hard to find them work so we struck up an arrangement where I just said give me a ring if I've got room I'll put them on half my over half my crew was guys fresh out of jail and uh, some of them kind of rotated in and out but they were good guys they worked hard didn't have a problem with it at all it was great for us but uh, the interview process was like this this guy would ring and say hey I've got somebody have you got any space I'd say yep send them the next morning tell them to turn up at the car park six o'clock go from there. Interesting. The first thing these guys would say to me is, hi, my name is such and such, and I was inside. For, I would go, whoa, whoa. I need your name. I need your age. I need your date of birth. I need your boot size. And I said, I need your wet weather size. I said, I don't care what you're in jail for. You've done your time. I don't care what you did years ago or yesterday. I'm only concerned in what you're doing today. And Jesus has a message for every one of us. I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to rub your past into your face. I'm not here to beat you over the head over every bad decision you've ever made. I've come here to rescue you out of that mess. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I'm going to finish this paragraph today. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As I finish today, I encourage every person here, if you've never stepped into the light, I want to make the invitation for you to step into the light. For every other person, I would ask you today, my prayer is as we step into 2022 from this point onwards, that you would walk in the light. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that you made it possible for me to know God. 
that the one who knit me in the womb and fashioned and formed me as scripture teaches me, I'm able to know him in an intimate relationship. You gave us the right, the authority and the power to do that. Thank you, Jesus. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. They're powerful words. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us grace and favour. I pray that each person here who has never stepped into the light would step into the light. And our prayer, Lord, as we, as we move forward from Christmas into the new year is that you, Lord, would teach us and help us and empower us to walk in the light. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.